right in the corner where you are. So enjoy. It's another episode of Where You Are. Thank you so much for joining me today as I make good on my promise to feature a few conversations with former students from Marion Military Institute. First up is Emily Kirby, who I taught back in 2011 through 2013, who has always been one of my favorite students. Smart, a great writer, and so kind. We've kept in touch through the years over social media, and she showed up five years ago at my 40th birthday celebration slash one-man show, and I was so touched that she took the time to do that. I love the picture we have from that night. Both of us were wearing black and white. Emily moved on to Jacksonville State University after MMI, where she worked on the school newspaper, The Chanticleer. Eventually, after graduating and working outside journalism for a while, and we'll talk about some of the jobs she had, She landed a job as a reporter for the Fort Payne Times-Journal, not far from her hometown of Pisgah, Alabama. She was just recently promoted to managing editor of that paper. This makes her a part of the long history and tradition of the Fort Payne Times-Journal that stretches all the way back to 1878, making it DeKalb County's oldest newspaper. The Times-Journal publishes three days a week and, according to its website, serves about 8,000 readers daily. I am so proud of Emily for helming this publication. I think you will enjoy our conversation, which covers not only Emily's stories of growing up in Pisgah, of attending MMI and JSU, of reporting for and now managing a newspaper, but also some touching moments and insights about life, work, community, education, and the state of media. Thanks again, Emily, for doing the podcast. It was so much fun seeing you and catching up, and touring downtown Fort Payne, eating good food, and just getting to talk with you. I know everyone listening will enjoy this interview, too. We are here in Fort Payne, Alabama, at the offices of the Fort Payne Times-Journal with the new managing editor, Emily Kirby, who also happens to be a former student of mine, and a friend, not a former friend, but a former student and current friend. And we are going to talk to her about her job. It's a new title, but you've been at the Times Journal for a while, right? Mm-hmm. A couple years. When did you start? Let's just get started. Um, spring of 2018. So I'm coming up on two years, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty quick trajectory to yeah. the managing editor's position. Yeah. Have you always wanted to, to be a writer? No. <laughs> I didn't, um, didn't realize that to college. Yeah. yeah. What did you, what did you, when you went to college, mm-hmm. what did you have in mind that you wanted to do? I was a criminal justice major for like two years. You know, I was joining the army, so I w- thought I would go, I would be like an MP and then maybe transition to civilian law enforcement eventually. So yeah. you really were, I was talking to Fox on the way here because Emily went to Marion Military Institute that in 2011. Mm-hmm. That's where I taught at the time. And I was trying to remember why you went there. But you were going to go into the Army. Yeah. But you didn't. I did for a while. 
Yeah. Um, I did the enlistment program there. Uh, it was called the SMP program, the Simultaneous Membership Program, and it's where you could be enlisted in the National Guard while doing the officer training, like, you know, where they would commission at MMI. And then I just realized halfway through that it's not what I wanted to do. I was actually walking to the PT track that morning to do, like, our final PT test before we went on to the next year of that program. And I just woke up, and I was walking there, and I was like, I, I don't want to do this. And I turned back around and went back to bed. Is <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, and then, like, my recruiter, like, called me the next day, and he was like, so I guess you're not wanting to go through with the program. <laughs> I was like, no. See, I think that that's great, because I can't tell you how many times I've had students change their minds. Yeah. And I think it's good to know that you can do that. Yeah. Did, and you never regretted it. No. No, <laughs> definitely did not. I remember uh, one of my greatest memories of you at MMI was taking, uh, my friend Buffy taught the art class, Mm -hmm. and you and I took her, um, I guess I was auditing it, that digital photography (laughs) class. Yeah. That was so much fun, because I remember going to the graveyard to take pictures. Yes. What are some other things we did? We went to a burnt house that um, I found like a... I guess it was kind of like an old Corningware type cup that yes. had survived the fire but had like cracks in it. Um, and I sketched that. I did a sketch of like that teacup and then a photograph of it. And then I had the actual teacup because we had to have like a three part yeah. series on something, I guess, in the class. I that. But I had a really terrible smartphone. It was, I mean, it was before there were like really yeah. good smartphones. And um, so I had a really hard time in that class with getting the material that I needed. But. Now, do you do photography <clears throat> for the paper? I do. Some. We kind of come up with our own art for it. For the magazine, I used to do a lot more photos. And um, we have a lot of really good equipment. that I didn't really know anything about photography before that, but um, I really learned a lot <laughs> the past two years. But I I enjoy doing my own photos for it. We do have an art director who, um, he will go and do the photos for us. And we actually have one of the writers as a professional photographer. And he's always willing to go too. But I, I like to do my own photos if I can. So uh, people kind of wear more than <clears throat> one hat. Around here, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so definitely. You, I'm going to come back to the paper and all the things that you do. Yeah. Um, I'm so proud of you, by the way. I Thank really you. am. I think it's just <laughs> awesome. Thank you. That you're a working writer, you know, that you actually, mm-hmm. and I want to talk to you about all kinds of stuff. I have a friend who works for the Tuscaloosa News, and he's been there mm-hmm. forever, Jason Morton. Mm-hmm. And I've just always been fascinated by newspaper writers at that the discipline and the I don't have that kind of discipline. <laughs> But we're here in Fort Payne, and of course, most of us who grew up in Alabama, what we know about Fort Payne, if we don't live here, is that <laughs> the band yeah. came yeah. from Alabama, and there's the yeah. museum mm-hmm. here or whatever. But you grew up in Pisgah, mm-hmm. which is around, about northwest of here, right? E- northeast. Northeast. Mm-hmm. It's um, up on Sand Mountain. It's about 40 minutes away. Um, it's really close to the Georgia state line. Well, not really. It's like 20 minutes like 15 20 minutes from the Georgia line yeah I didn't really I never pictured myself living this close to home but I moved back after school and I I don't regret it at all I was reading this interview you did I can't remember where it was but it was about you getting the new position Mm -hmm. and you were talking about you knew you wanted to work at a paper so you moved Mm -hmm. back and you worked at a chicken plant for a while yeah um (laughs) after I after I finished at JSU I um I was kind of done with being in like little apartments and just, I don't know. I didn't want to be away from my family anymore for a while. I really, my brother's a lot younger than me. And so he was just a little kid when I went to college and I really missed out on a lot of his formative years. And 
Um, so I just wanted to be closer to home. And so person that I was dating at the time, their mom worked at this chicken plant. So she helped us get jobs there. And it was just really the only thing that I could do at the time after school without moving far further away from home. And I really didn't want to be far away. So, um, it had really good benefits and, um, decent pay because not a lot of people want to do that kind of stuff. So I just did it for the better part of a year, I guess. And I just kept sending my resume here to the paper over and over. (laughs) And like one time they had a position open at the front desk and I was like, I just need to get my resume in there. So I just kept sending it and I kept calling and I would attach like links of my writing from the student newspaper that I worked at until they finally called me back. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I did do the chicken plant for a while. It's, I, I hated it at the time, but um, there's something so pure about doing a job where you just go in every day and you do the same thing and you don't have to have all these stresses and worries and that stuff. You're just kind of, you just do your job and you go home and you don't worry yeah. about it. But it was really hard work. It was really hard work. I remember I used to watch The View all the time, and I loved Barbara Walters growing up. And she used to always tell people, if you want to get into journalism, get your foot in the door. Yeah. Whether it's being a janitor or mm-hmm. where, just get your foot in the door. When I call, or when the um, publisher here finally called me back, she said, we could tell you were just trying to get here somehow. <laughs> so they waited until they had a writing position where they could call me back. Were you writing a lot when you were a kid? Do you think that no. that... No. Were you reading a lot? My family is very, I don't want to say pushy, but my dad thinks that you need to always be reading (laughs) at all times. He always has books with him. It doesn't matter where he's going. He always has a book with him. And um, he actually has like a bookcase that broke recently because there's just so many darn books in their house. Like it's insane. They finally moved a whole bunch of them out of the house recently. I mean, they have thousands of books. So I was... I didn't enjoy reading when I was little because I think they tried to push it on me a lot, but um, I don't know. I don't really know where it started. Um, I fell in love with storytelling when I was probably three or four, and my dad had a storybook version of The Hobbit, and he would read parts of it to me every night. Um, So that was when I really fell in love with a story, and I didn't like to read as much. I remember that you... In college, were I just remember you being a very good writer. I didn't, I never thought I was in school. Yeah, I know everybody says that, <laughs> yeah. but you know you have to understand that I'm comparing you to people yeah. who may not be that. Good yeah, writer. right. Um, just because you're in, you're in introductory writing class when you're in, you know when you're in your freshman year, so I'm sure you have people that are throwing every yes major and every you know. So yeah. I'm so sure. would you say the Chant- Chanticleer is where you really started to hone your your writing skills? Well, I actually started writing the first time I liked writing. I was in the fourth grade, and I had a teacher who wanted to keep some of my writing as an example for future students, and that made me feel so amazing. Like it was just the first person that you know ever yeah. told me it was good. And then my fifth grade teacher turned around and really discouraged me. I think from the stuff that I was writing. So after that, I didn't really start writing again until college. But Was that fiction that you were writing? Yeah. 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 It was too scary. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Too gothic. Was, yeah. Um, well, it was a Halloween writing contest, which to me, I thought that meant it needed to be scary. And I was only like 10, but I wrote a really, really creepy story, and it got disqualified from the Oh, contest. my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> 
it wasn't really that bad, but I think just all the other girls were writing about like cutesy little stuff, right. you know. And so, <laughs> but um, no, I think it was um, your humanities class where we kept. I think it was your humanities class. No, I took several classes with you. One of them we kept a journal where we wrote, and I still have it. That's humanities, probably. I think so, maybe. And then. For my capstone project, I wrote short stories and published them online, and that was yes. when I really was like, this is what I want to do, I think. Yeah. yeah. I knew I wanted to write, but then when I got to the Chanticleer, that's when I realized I wanted to write in newspapers and do journalism. Is this a different kind of writing? It is, yeah. How would you characterize it as you know, different from fiction writing or different from the writing that a lot of college students understand? I mean, what is, the, what is it that sets apart journalism? Oh. Well, thinking about writing in college, I think um, college students write, and I did this, but I think write very passively because you're trying to make it sound really eloquent and, like, very elaborate when it doesn't need to be. Right. And so journalism is, excuse me, journalism is very direct, and it doesn't need all this, like, embellishments that we try to add, I think, in college when we're writing. Well, and you know what's so funny to me is that I try to get students not to do that. I would rather teach journalistic writing. Yeah. Because I'll hear students say, oh, you just got to put a lot of fluff in it, or you got to, like, BS it, or whatever. And I'm like, no, you need to be direct, you need to be concise, Mm -hmm. you need to be clear, you need to be descriptive. And um, That was hard for me when I started, because I was so um, used to creative writing that was... um, journalism like every paper I got back from my editor when I started was just like reword the sentence reword the sentence reword the sentence so I definitely dealt with that because I was one of those embellishing writers I think so the Chanticleer who who that was a school yeah paper Mm -hmm. right all of it was student-led and it was published every week week Mm -hmm. oh my goodness Mm -hmm. I still miss going to the library and getting because before I started writing for it I would just go to the library get a copy of it get a coffee sit there and read it and I kind of miss that you can't do that anymore no I mean it's too far away to go you know (laughs) sit at the JSU library where did you get that printed um I don't know uh well you send it away somewhere I'm assuming that they printed it I think the Aniston Star did but I'm not really certain on that it has to have been online Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it it had to have been a local paper with a press that had printed it I assume but some of the things do you remember some stories that you did at Chanticleer that really stood out to you yeah I had two that I really loved my first one was actually a really big story to do for my first story and they actually put it as the centerpiece like the focal story on the front page but it was the nursing program got a new addition at the hospital there in Jacksonville and it had this whole floor of training for the students and it had different computerized dummies almost like little robots that had different ailments that the students would go diagnose Uh and when they worked on it it would send whatever they were doing to the teachers to the instructors and they they would be like grading how they were taking care of this dummy and there was like a burn victim and there was actually one that was actually giving birth to a little baby dummy (laughs) 
my. And I got some amazing photos just on like an iPhone. They used them on the front page. And that was my first story. And that was really, really cool. There were even little infant dummies that had uh, maybe RSV or something where they would have to listen to the baby's breathing. And it was really cool. So I went to the open house for that. And the students were demonstrating how they how they would assist a car crash victim and stuff like that. It was amazing. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of overwhelmed. Would that be my first story? But it was really fun. So that was when I really realized that I loved doing that. <laughs> you know, something I've always wondered in this what you're talking about brings it up. There's a lot of gumption involved in being a, a reporter, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of just showing up at something that you're not really a part of and yes. talking to people that you don't know. How do you, was that hard for you at yes. first? Is it still hard? It's still, it's easier now because a lot of the things that we go to are at the same places and, you know, I kind of know officials here in town. It's not as hard, but it was really, really difficult. And I, do have a lot of anxieties about going into situations I don't know about. And so it, I think what I struggled more was calling people that I'd never talked to. That was really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, and we were in a room where everyone's desk is around you. So everyone can hear your phone conversations. Oh no. And it was, <laughs> that, that was the hardest part for me. I think I get a little nervous. Not with you. I didn't, but mm-hmm. asking people to do the podcast that I yeah. don't know, not even whether they'll say yes or no. It's just, that awkward talking to somebody I don't know. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, I didn't even want to order my food myself. <laughs> it took me a long time to become assertive, you know. Yeah. I, well, I think this job definitely made me a lot more assertive. Well, there's also the thing I would think in your business mm-hmm. where there's probably a danger of getting too close to people mm-hmm. that you're going to cover on a regular basis as well. So you have to figure out this professional balance, I'm assuming. Yeah. There is, but there's also a need for a connection. What do you see, let's get to your where you are currently. What do you mm-hmm. see as your job as the managing editor of the Times Journal? What What is the vision that you have? What What are the things that you want, what are y'all doing now that you want to continue doing? And what do you want to, you know, what do you want to try new? We, um, one of our big things is covering a lot of like city council meetings, town council, commission, things like that. And that's something I'd like to do more of because we mostly cover, we have the county commission, we have the Fort Payne City and the Rainsville City Council, but we have several other towns that have town hall meetings. And I think we're, I think we need to hone in more on the rural areas that we're, we've not been because there are like, I think I said earlier to you that there were like 40,000 people in this county. So that's a lot of people that their towns aren't getting covered. Absolutely. So that's something that I want to work on and that I've, brought up to my staff that we're trying to get established it's hard because we only have three of us that are covering (laughs) this whole county and there i would say there's probably at least 10 towns that have some sort of council wow Um, so that's something that i want to work on and then i think being more aware of upcoming criminal cases and updates in different cases that we've been following that's something i want us to work more on because i think we haven't been in the past year or two as much as we should be mm-hmm. so that's well it must be hard i mean you know you don't have a huge you don't have 20 yeah. people to work on right you know. yeah we have. you've been here since 2018 mm-hmm. what are some of the i know you've got a stack of things over here yeah. that you've covered <laughs> what are some of the things that you're really proud of ha- that you've done well it's... or y'all and you specifically but the paper in general there's one of william shatner in town last year let me see <laughs> I didn't get to go to that. Um, my editor, oh, Bradley, wow. at the time went to that story. William Shatner, Jeff Cook, record album in Cook Studios. Stars yeah. align in Fort Payne. That's mm-hmm. good. 
That was by Bradley Roberts. Mm-hmm. This is the, just while she's looking, this is the Times Journal in Fort Payne for anyone who's listening. I do have people who listen out of state as well. Oh, okay. So. I'm trying to see. This one, which I think it, I'm kind of biased since I'm a journalist, but we had um, the Alabama Humanities Foundation came and held a journalism forum at our city auditorium last year. Oh, wow. And we had... Anna Voyers from AL.com, Joey Bunch, who won a Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of Sandy Hook. He wow. started out at this paper here at the Times Journal. Wow. And he was here. That. Yeah, we, they had a lot of really big names. So I wrote a story on it, and I wrote a column, and that was it's called um, Our North Star is the Truth, which is a quote that he had during that forum, and I was really... I don't know. I was really excited to write that one. So That's that fantastic, probably, Emily. Yeah. I'm going to have to read that. I was really disappointed, though, because we didn't have... The reason they held this, or that forum, I mean, it's because of all the, you know, online fake news and the way people portray media. And so they invited journalists to come, and they wanted the community to come and talk to them and establish a connection. And uh, one of the terms they used was media literacy, which is understanding your media, where it comes from, and yeah. all that. And really, no one came except for local journalists. Mm. So I was really just, But it was still a really great experience and because it was such an intimate group I really learned a lot from that what did you what's something that you can see I think that's very important too and a lot of my English 101 and 102 classes have turned into media literacy courses yeah <laughs> so seriously yeah what did you learn or take away from that and what would you want to share with people in terms of media literacy problems and solutions and this may be something that you already knew or didn't specifically learn at that event maybe well there was something that he said um, okay, so this quote is from Joey Bunch, and he is a Pulitzer Prize winner journalist who used to work here at the Times Journal. He started out here, I think, in sports, actually. Okay. But um, he said um, at this forum, he said, if you're a conservative, you can find plenty of conservative outlets that will support every bias you have, and the same with liberals. There's a big gulf of people in the center that just feel underserved by partisan media, and community newspapers are the one place you can still come and find people from your community. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. A lot of people t- I hear talk about how important local news is and, mm-hmm. the, and newspapers are. I'm a big believer in newspapers. I'm so glad that um, papers like Times Journal and Tuscaloosa News and all those exist, mm-hmm. you know. I don't even think Al. AL.com took over as, I mean, there's no Birmingham. There's Birmingham Times, I think. Yeah, there's still one in Birmingham, I think. Yeah. I believe so. But... That was just, yeah, that was probably the... That's powerful. Yeah, and I wish that more people had heard it, I guess. Are they going to do it again, do you think? Like another, or was it just a one-off? I don't know. Uh, I think that was probably a program they had going on that year. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, her name was Anna Claire Voyers from Reckon on AL.com. Oh, I love Reckon. Yeah. They do good stories. She does big expose stories. Yes. I follow Reckon on... Twitter, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. A great feast. <laughs> exactly. And the forum also had Clay Carey of Stanford, Stanford University's Journalism and Mass Communication Department and Justin Lutz of the David Matthews Center for Civic Life. But that was a really um, good experience from, I wish the Alabama, I mean, and I'm sure we could petition for it for the Alabama Humanities Forum to come do, or foundation to come do more. That's amazing. You know, things, but. What kind of yeah. things do your readers suggest, or what? What is what? What kind of edit? Like, do you get, do you still get letters to the editor yeah. and things like that? What do you hear well, from I, your readers? 
I really push for letters to the editor. We, right now, we only have one person who consistently writes letters. I think he just uses it as a platform to talk about politics, but he doesn't really talk about things specific to our community. So I right. wish we had more people. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we have, um, a few weeks ago, we had someone who thanked a local doctor for the care that they received. We had an elderly man wrote a letter thanking the hospice that's taking care of his wife. I really encourage it, but I don't think people utilize it the way that they really should. Because it is a way that you can, and, and I try to tell people, I'll put in columns sometimes to try to get people to write, but our council members and our mayors read these letters. I know they do because they've told us. So if people want their voice to be heard, write letters here or go to your council meetings, you know. But um, It's some very old-fashioned ideas I think yeah. people have just forgotten, like, be connected in your actual local community mm-hmm. where you are. National politics may not have anything to do with what's going on right here, you know? Right, and something that we always say here at the office is um, if something's on national media, those, I mean, those journalists have a connection, but after that story's done, it's done. For us, we can go to the grocery store and we're going to see the people that we write about or we're going to, wherever we are, I always see people out that I've met through work and... um like through interviewing them yeah. or covering mm-hmm. stories on them? Yeah. Is that so awkward? No, no, not really. I enjoy it. Does it help you feel like you're part of the, more of the community? Yeah, and I think being in the newspaper showed me everything that, it's going to sound cheesy, but everything that um, makes a community work, I guess. Like, there's just so many behind-the-scenes things that, that happen and so many people that, I don't know how to say that, but... um. <laughs> There's so many things that go on that you don't realize for your community to work and for your cities to, I mean, for anything to happen. It's a lot of work, and I think a lot of people don't see it. What are some of those things? I mean, obviously, like, city councils. Yeah. We have a big group of, a really big, dedicated group of people here in Fort Payne that run a lot of different local charities and civic groups, and they kind of, it's kind of the same people in a lot of them, but it's just because it's such a dedicated group of people, but... We have a soup kitchen that different people host every, I think it's three days a week, and a different person does it every time. So it could be a civic group, it could be a church, it could be whatever. We have so many clothing closets, so many food pantries. We have, I mean, it's just, I can't even, (laughs) I can't think right now. There's so much stuff that people do. Yeah. Uh, We also have a lot of people that just volunteer for us to have music downtown or to have just whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, um, I mean, Main Street, our organization here is dedicated to just things happening downtown for people to enjoy, you know. Oh, one of the biggest complaints when my students are talking, because I teach in Walker County, mm-hmm. and uh, well, they have a huge drug problem in Walker County, mm-hmm. that's one of the things, but the we talk a lot about that in class, and sometimes they write about it, and one of the things they say is that we, they wish they had more to do where they yeah. live, and Jasper is really good about that, but there's more to Walker County than Jasper, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it's those those kinds of things I think people take for granted, like if there is actually something to do, like a music festival yeah. or just music one day. Or Our, our city actually hosts, it's, um, I think it's called Courtyard Concerts, and it's once a month. And they oh, actually great. host, con- and it's at our, we have like a vintage theater, the Cab Theater downtown. Oh, wow. And they host it there, but it's city funded, and it's just, it's open, it's free. You can just walk into this little gated courtyard. You can buy drinks if you want to, you don't have to, you can just go sit there and enjoy stuff like that yeah. all the time. 
We have speakers downtown that play music throughout the parks. Just we have a walking park that the city helped put there. That's so um, cool. I have not spent any significant amount of time in Fort Payne. I need to. Yeah. We need to go eat today, right? Yeah. Where are yeah. we eating? I thought you'd named a place, but that was probably because it was Saturday. It's probably not open. No, it is. There's brunch today at the Wildflower Cafe in Mentone. Which um, have you heard of the Wildflower? No, it's... I just know the Wildflower song by Dolly Parton. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> um, but AL dot com and a couple of places. And Southern Living has done stuff on them. They're yeah. pretty big. But Mentone's also a really cool place in the Cab County. Didn't then. you used to work like at some kind of uh, wedding venue or something? Or am I dreaming that? I worked at Gorham's Bluff, which is a it's called Gorms Bluff Lodge. It's this little gated community in Pisgah that has this huge hotel at the back of it. And it's more like a bed and breakfast now, I guess. We would sometimes serve dinner, and then the next morning we'd come in and serve the same guest breakfast. But um, I did that all through high school and some in college. And then here in town, I worked at Vintage 1889 last year. I did some bartending, which is okay. half of it's an antique mall and half of it is a restaurant. It's cool. pretty cool too. But. Yeah, you have you have like a restaurant background. Yeah. Too. I remember that. <laughs> oh yeah. I always identify with you because I have a, a retail background mm-hmm. before I was a teacher, and so now I, never I think everyone should have to work in a restaurant or in, oh, yeah. somehow with the public. Everybody should. Absolutely makes you a better person. Oh, <laughs> uh, that probably helped you in some way when you're having to deal with strangers that you're writing stories about. I would imagine. Yeah, that was definitely the first instance of having to get over anxieties of talking to people was going up and just. Asking for a drink order. That doesn't seem like a big deal to a lot of people, but it really can be. Oh, sure. Especially if it's at a nicer place where people are, you know, spending a lot of money and they want things to be perfect. You know, and you're a 15-year-old or 16-year-old that doesn't even know how to open a bottle of wine or anything like, you know. Well, the other thing is uh, sometimes it depends on the, like, the chemistry. Like, Mm -hmm. we have different chemistry with different people and sometimes yeah. it even if it isn't like a fancy restaurant or something I remember I worked at a bookstore mm-hmm. last year part-time and sometimes it's just the person like you it's someone you don't really understand you wouldn't hang out with socially maybe they're intimidating in some way yeah. I used to have a real hard problem I used to have a big problem with men and author- older men and authority yes. yeah Freud would probably say it's because my father wasn't around <laughs> when I was a kid but when I taught at Mary Military I lost that because I was Mm -hmm. around all those colonels and whoever, Mm -hmm. you know, running the school and then all the, so that kind of helped with that. I still don't know that I could be a reporter. It's not, I don't don't think it's as hard as people think it is. Here's what I want to ask you. How do you, so you have a deadline. What are your, how do you get the writing done? My, my two writers do most of the writing now. I do, I do cover, um, I have a consistent council that I cover and a couple of things that, I do, but they do a lot of the bulk writing. But we have, we print three days a week, so we, um, our paper comes out Tuesday, Thursday, and the weekend edition. So on, we're sending the paper on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays to the printing press. So on those three days is when it's a pretty tight schedule. But then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, on those non-press days, we just have all day to set up interviews, to talk to people, to write, to edit to do whatever we need to do so those two days in but we used to be five days a week right before it switched over right before I started in 2018 and having those two non-press days to get stuff done I mean it makes such a huge difference Um, that still seems amazing to me as mm -hmm. someone who deals with 
people on a regular basis mm-hmm. who can't turn in a paper that they have, <laughs> yeah. you know, three weeks to work on to yeah. imagine that you have all these stories just constantly revolving. Mm-hmm. Does it just become like a muscle? Yeah. I mean, especially if it's kind of the same things, you know, and if you've been here a few years, you, I'm already covering like these charity events that I covered the first year I was here. So it's just, it's kind of repetitive. I mean, it's repetitive, but it's also not because it's always going to be different. But I think you do get into a, a, a routine because it is, you know, I mean, if you write one council story, you kind of know how to format the next one and then the next one. And so it. So now that you're the managing editor, you don't have you're not writing a lot. I can choose to. I can I can kind of decide how much I want to, I guess. Um, but Cynthia and Stephen, who write for me, are I mean they're so good. They're really um, they're good at churning out content a lot better than I was when I started. <laughs> um, and they write really long stories, which really helps. But well, not really long, but they give enough content. And I, I always struggled with that, I think. I think I would write, like, 500 words and be like, okay, I'm done. This is it, you know. But they're good about extending that. And, and they're also good about turning them in fast and giving me time to edit them before I put them on the page. And, and so now you're, as editor, mm-hmm. what kinds of new responsibilities do you have? Well, I design the paper. I edit And when you say design, you mm-hmm. mean, like, the pictures, where they go, the mm-hmm. stories, the order that they're in. Okay, mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. So I um, decide, like, what story is going to be the lead. Because there's a name for each thing on the front of a newspaper. And so I decide what's going to be the lead, the centerpiece, above the fold, below the fold, what's going to be anchor, what's, you know, stuff like that. So I decide all that. And then I just ask that the writers um, put all their artwork. That could be photos, graphics, whatever. We have, like, a server that we can all access. I just ask them to put it in the folder, certain folder on the server, and then I can go in and grab it, and they also will leave me notes sometimes about how they want it done. Or, And I'm always open if they come in and say, okay, I kind of want to use this photo here. I'm always going to let them choose because it's their story. I don't always know exactly the flow it needs. But um, I design all the pages except for, like, the classifies and the comic page. I don't do those, but any type of news content. And then when we were between sports editors, I actually did I put together the sports pages for a few so weeks. So managing <laughs> editor means generally there's a, there's another there's a sport there's a separate sports editor. Are there other editors? No, just okay. the sports editor. So the editorial department is the managing editor, and then I have two writers under me, and then the sports editor, and we kind of just all we're all in that room in there, and I can just yell at them, okay, this page is down, you can work on it. You know, we all kind of just. Yell. So you all, is there, so there, and if any of this is like proprietary and you can't tell me, just mm-hmm. let me know, but is there a specific program that you use to put it all together? We use Adobe InDesign. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's, it, I didn't know anything about it and didn't have any um, experience with it at all. And I told them that, but they're <laughs> like, you'll learn fast. It's okay. And it, it's, it's pretty easy to work with. It's a, it's a really good program. So in the end, when mm-hmm. the reader sees the, the paper, that's your, that's, You've put that look together. Yes. That's pretty crazy. I was at a a conference uh, last year at UAB, and the woman was talking about designing websites for your class or course, you know, LMS courses for your classes. And she Mm -hmm. said, 
many of you may never never have heard of this term, but you want to keep all the important stuff above the fold. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, what does that mean? Because we borrow it from the newspaper industry. Mm -hmm. But there really is this thing in web design where you want to... Right. The first thing you see. Yeah, where you don't have to scroll Mm -hmm. down. Whatever you see is what's there. Right. And it's the... I mean, if anybody else doesn't know above the fold is when... You walk up to a newspaper rack, and everything you see on the front page that's above the fold because it's above where it, the actual. I mean, it's pretty literal. It's yeah, <laughs> it's where the page folds and everything that you see before you buy it. So that's why we. Yeah. I have a small story about the above and below the fold that might be mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, there used to be a website called Bidme. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they, that. Yeah, they used to. They tried to be a competitor to YouTube, and mm. they closed down about two years ago, two three years ago. Dan Olson on Twitter has this really good thread where he looks at their website and is like, well, here we are above the fold. This is this is the first <laughs> thing you see, and you don't see any videos, but you essentially see something marketing to video creators saying you can get paid easier here on, than you could on YouTube, mm-hmm. which is fine, but it doesn't get across to the actual consuming audience. What's on the, right. what the content yes, is. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's really important. Yes, and ads are a big... I think problem with websites, people just put them up at the top. And Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Who? So are you responsible for advertising? No, we have um, a whole advertising department. Linda Stiefel's the manager of the, she's the advertising manager, and then she has two sales reps that go out and sell ads. And Well, that's good, because that's, yeah. that's another thing. <laughs> now, as I sit here looking at you at behind me, we were talking about this before we started, mm-hmm. there's like this, how did I describe it? There's... It's almost like a an idea board, or I don't know what it is. It's like a tracking system on paper of something you guys are planning to do. What is that? We put together a, every March, we have this section called Progress Section, and it is, let me count how many sections it is. It's several, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's eight sections, and we pick a theme every year, and each section has four to five stories of the progress in our county. And it can be, I think, one of them is healing, one of them is learning, one is arts. Um, there's just a variety of, of different um, sections. And it takes us a bit because we are still printing the magazine and we're printing the newspaper. And then we put in this extra section. And so it's it's a lot of work. And we actually have some contract writers who help us with this section. But it's a, it's a pretty big undertaking every year. And How does it take all year to get it ready? Actually, we just started, well, with the editorial side. We just assigned stories this past week. So I got to send out all the stories that I assigned people. I don't have it with me. But um, (laughs) some of the stuff that we're going to be focusing on, uh, our theme is then and now. So we're going to be looking at things in our community from, it doesn't matter. We don't have like a certain date that we're going to be looking back at. It's going to be relevant to that specific thing. So like the hosiery department, or hosiery industry, we were... um, Fort Payne was the stock mill capital of the world. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. We, we, we're known <laughs> for a few weird things. but um, And that ended, I guess, the stock mill started to leave the town back in the early 2000s, I guess. And we still have some that are here, but it's definitely, I mean, before everyone knew someone that worked in a stock mill. My family worked in stock mills. My grandparents had a stock mill. I mean, everyone worked in some sort of textile, you know, um, industry. But so we're going to be looking back at how our community has changed since those stock mills started to leave. We're going to look back at how our hospital has changed. 
Um, we're going to look at Little River Canyon, um, which Little River Canyon has, is now a national preserve and is in the national park system. So we're going nice. to look back at what has changed in our area since, bef- you know, before when the federal, or when, I don't know how to say this, but before the federal government came in really to regulate this land and um, this environment and look at it now and how um, how it's changed our economy, how it's changed the land or how it's protected it, things like that. So we're going to look at different things. Just then and now, just, yeah. yeah. I think that's fascinating. One thing I wanted to talk, kind of circle back around and ask you some final, get, get your final thoughts on some things. One is, I know you, we've talked a lot about Fort Payne and this area, but, and, and the changes that have happened, you were just talking about that. When you say you grew up in Pisgah, for, mm-hmm. for people who are not from Alabama, what would you say about Pisgah? Like, what is it like? What was it like growing up? What is it like there now? What kind of place is it? It's a small place, like like mm-hmm. seven hundred people. Is that what you said? Yeah, in the city limits, seven hundred. It's um, it's a really really tiny. And I don't even live in the city limits. I live further out. Um, but I recently moved back this summer, and I live next door to my grandparents now. Which I don't know if I told you that. Mm-hmm. I live in a cabin next door to my grandparents in, in the middle of nowhere. It's changed a lot. Our only grocery store that we had closed down last year. We have maybe like, I wouldn't even call it a full factory, just a a little industry inside of an old factory building. There's not really much left there, and I don't really know. There are not a a lot of young people staying there, and I think that's one reason I wanted to come back, because I don't think that there are, there's not a lot of new blood there. And I hope that maybe... Eventually, some more industries will move closer and more stores will open again. But um, for now, it's it's pretty much just it's just communities. It's, there aren't really yeah. any, there's not really anything else. But uh, it's a beautiful place. I live on the bluff overlooking the Tennessee River. It's I love where I grew up. It's a wonderful place. For those of you who are not familiar with this part of Alabama, it is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mentone and Pisgah, all those areas. For people mm-hmm. who like to go to like. Chattanooga or you know the mountains in Tennessee we've got it right here in Alabama too up here in the northeast section Mm -hmm. it's beautiful it's beautiful country yeah um and Fort Payne right here is located it right in the valley between Lookout Mountain and Sand Mountain so you can go on either side and find just really beautiful views and beautiful places I think you're very lucky to live in this area and to to, and to do such this is really important work what you're doing I love you know We've had, I've had a lot of students who do really cool things, and you don't have mm-hmm. to be famous or anything like that. That's one of the points of this podcast is to look at people who are doing things that matter where they are. And I can't think of anything that makes more of a difference than what you're doing by Thank working you. at this paper. And I think of other students, like, you know, Tim now is, is mayor. Oh, my gosh, I know. Talladega. <laughs> Talladega. And, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. just, and those are just, y'all are just two examples. But, yeah. you know, I know there's students who are... I think uh, Chris, I don't know if you remember her, but she's a police officer, I think. I know, yeah, Chris kind of, McClendon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Well, she, she there were some there were even, like, stories about her, yeah. like, last year. I don't remember exactly. Something but, that she's doing with, I think, a homeless initiative yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So it's just, I just love hearing about former students and what they've mm-hmm. gone on to do. You know, you were saying about Pisgah. I grew up in a little town called Huleco. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It maybe had, like, 300 or 400 people. It's an oh unincorporated community. <laughs> okay. And the only thing they had was, uh, besides wonderful people, was a, f- a caution light and a general store. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, they tore down the general store and built a Dollar General. Yeah, we have a Dollar General too, yeah. 
So when you were telling that Pisgah story, that that reminded me of, mm-hmm. of that. And there's just something really special about where you're from mm-hmm. and seeing it change and <laughs> maybe yeah. evaporate away over time. Because I, my mom always rented when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and But there were a few places when we had to move a lot because, you know, the family's nephew would come back and they needed it to, so we rent someplace else or whatever. Right. But one of the places we rented, I think I was probably five to ten years old, was very important to me. Those were really formative years. And I drove mm-hmm. past, it was a double wide trailer, and I drove past where that trailer was the other day when I went home for Thanksgiving, and the trailer's not there anymore. Like, it had been there for years. Yeah. So, like, the actual place that I remember is actually gone. Mm-hmm. And I hate to see that happening. I know that change is inevitable or whatever, but um, I think that's why building community and letting people see what's going on that that builds community like you were talking about is mm-hmm. so important. I'm really, really proud of you. Thank you. Are you happy? Yeah. 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 I think I am. I, um, I made like a statement to my grandparents that, you know, I want to be here for a long time. And they were like, no, this is just a stepping stone. You're going to go further. And, and I tried to explain to them that I'm comfortable right now and I'm really happy where I am. And I'm, I'm so thankful to even be here, you know, and I, I know that um, people always want you to go higher and higher and do all that you can, but I'm, I'm really happy right now. I think that's good, and I think yeah. sometimes, and I hope no one takes this the wrong way, I think that that can be misleading to people. I think it can mm-hmm. be, and it can it can lead to frustrations, the idea that you have to keep climbing some ladder to get somewhere. Yeah. You might be exactly where you're supposed to be forever. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, but if, if it's where you want to be, I think that's great. It's okay to stop climbing. I can say this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, Fox just yeah. made a huge decision about his... I was on a PhD track, and it okay. just the, the stress got to me, and so yeah. I went and I went into the workforce, and it's 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 been a week, but I'm it's doing wonders for me already. Yeah, That's great. he just got a job. We're so proud of him. Mm-hmm. So before we go, what I hate it. Maybe you'll hate this question, but if you could walk into a classroom right now at a community mm-hmm. college, I teach English. So let's just say it's an English classroom, mm-hmm. and give any kind of advice to, and it's not necessarily just young people, you know, but these students about what they're doing and what they want to do with their lives. Do you have any perspective that you could offer now as someone with a career who's gone to college? What would you say to them? That that it's not a straight line to get there, that it took me working multiple waitressing jobs this way or it branched off here where I was at a chicken plant or it, you know, it, it took me a while to get, I mean, I'm, I'm 26 and just now, I guess just now where I need to be education wise, where a lot of 22 year olds are, you know what I mean? And I think it's just not a straight line. <laughs> it's just not. not. And, and it's it was weird because for me, because my sister did everything, we're not very much apart in age, and she did everything right at the times that you're quote unquote supposed to, you know, like finish your four degree, four year degree by 21 or 22. And then she went on and got her master's and then her doctorate and she finished everything by like 26 or something, oh, you know, wow. just <laughs> crazy. And so that like really, I don't know. I, it took me a while to understand that everybody's different and you're just going to, I mean, there were things that I thought I wanted to do 
that once I got into it, I was like, this is not me. Well, why am I doing this? You know? And so you literally turned around and walked to the other. Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, I did. So it's just understanding that you're the one making that decision. Nobody else is, I guess. I like that. It's not a straight, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for Fox. It wasn't for you. Most people I know was not a straight line. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that they don't, I think that they don't really express that enough in high schools when they're preparing you for college. Mm -hmm. They don't tell you that kind of stuff, but it's okay. You know, they give you a timeline and they say, you need to do this and this and this. Oh, it's the first thing. Well, even when they get to college, what are you majoring in? What are you going to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? How does this relate? And students will say, how does this have anything to do with my career? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you don't even know that that's going to be your career. Right. You you think you're going into the army and you're going to be working at a chicken plant and then a, and yeah. then, a, and a, and then you're going to be managing editor. Yeah. Um, I definitely thought that I was taking a step back when I did the factory work. Yeah. You know, I really did, and I really looked at my life and thought, "Is this it?" And not that there's anything wrong with that because I worked with, I'm I might cry, but I worked with really amazing people at that place, and um, it's not a. I don't want it to make it sound like that I wasn't proud of that time in my life, sure. but it it just led me where I am now, I guess. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I understand what you're saying completely. My mom worked at a factory for 41, 40-something years, right? Yeah. And finally, she retired, and I'm so jealous of her. <laughs> I used to always say, I would never want to retire. I just want to work until I drop dead, you know? And then, yeah. and then I see her, and I'm like... She earned that, and mm-hmm. boy, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had that. It's yeah. really nice. There were women that had worked there 50 years. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know what my mom did? See, this is why people should never be. My mom was so proud of what she did. She's mm-hmm. such a good worker. I remember oh, yeah. she used to, I forget, they made medical parts. Like, I think they do contact lens cases and things like that. And mm-hmm. she worked this one machine that she did such a good job on it. I think they ended up naming the machine after her when she oh left. Oh my gosh, Isn't that's that cool? so cute. But she raised three kids, you know, yeah. on her own with that job. She always had time for us. She was always, you know what I mean? Like, that's something to be proud of. Yeah, well, I always suggest to people if, like, if because of the way that healthcare is right now and everything, if you can get a job at a factory, if you're needing to go to the doctor, if you do anything... Go get a job at a factory, and it is the best benefits you're probably ever yeah. going to get. I mean, and it may not be the the last thing you ever do. That's, right. I I I really believe in that concept. That mm-hmm. I I know for myself that I, I don't want to. I don't know if I should say this. I'm going to say this. I don't want to teach forever. Yeah. I would. I didn't teach my whole life anyway. And there are things. There are other things that I want to do, but. Part of me wishes I had become a managing editor of the newspaper. <laughs> well, I think we talked about last yeah. time we saw each other that you um, you had thought about taking some kind of journalism class. Or maybe, yeah. if, are you still thinking about that? I don't know. There's just so much. I want to do so many things. Yeah. Isn't that the problem? Yeah. But, you're, but you know, we have limited time. Yeah. Um, I want to say in conclusion that I am so proud of you. I think that you hung the moon. I wish nothing but the best for you. And I think everybody should support and read their local newspapers particularly the Fort Payne Times Journal, and because they have a wonderful managing editor, Emily Kirby. And um, I'm really happy for you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you for listening to Where You Are, a podcast created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. The introductory music was Right in the Corner Where You Are, 
a song performed by Billy Pollard and created by Ina Dudley Ogden and Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. The interlude music, Dead Inside, was taken from the Little Spoon album by Patricia Taxong. All music was used with permission. Thank you again for listening, and have a nice day, wherever you are.